You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Trail podcast.、Uh, today we've got a very interesting guest on for you.、Uh, but first,、uh, little do you know, it actually takes us quite a long time to find these guests, getting them in line with our schedules. It's one of the hardest things. But right under our nose, hiding the entire time, we've had one of Hong Kong's top trail runners, Mary Huey. Since I last seen you, you run the HK50. How do you feel about that? HK50 was a really great event. I had a ton of fun.、Um, it was my first time actually competing, you know, uh, uh, by by myself、um, in the 50. I've done a couple in the team before, and this was just a great way to jump right into the season. And I'd, I'd had a good solid block of training, and it was great to see that pay off.、Uh, Do you think you'd win?、Uh, I was aiming to podium. I wasn't sure what to. Uh, what to expect in terms of competition? So it was great to kind of just get out there, pace it conservatively to begin with, and then really power through those climbs at the end、um, because the course starts out with about 25 kilometers of mostly downhill and flat, undulating a bit of undulating hills, and then it really hits you from 33 to 50 kilometers where the big climbs come at you,、um, and you can really burn、uh, if you've、uh, not gone conservatively enough. And so that that was a good challenge in itself. Uh, mentally and physically, and it was just great fun to see my dad at the finishing line, teared up a little bit. <laughs> oh, that must have been nice. Yeah, I was so chuffed when、uh, when the press release came through. I was thinking,、oh, I'll get Mary to write a story about whoever the winner is. Maybe see if she can do it. Oh, it's her. <laughs> that was、uh, oh, that was really awesome. But、uh, it's great that you're doing that at the、uh, the elite end, the pointy end. But this weekend in Hong Kong, we've got what is often people's first introduction to trail running. We've got Oxfam Trail Walker, five thousand runners, infinite people who are supporting. First time people, anybody run, anybody hears of trails, and they go out and take on a hundred k. I was speaking to somebody today who's going to be the oldest man to attempt it. He's seventy five years old, and he took part even before it was the Oxfam Trail Walk, and it was just an army event. And it, it is amazing to hear his stories about the transitions from the complete amateurness of.、Uh, Going out onto the trails to what we see now, the likes of you with your、uh, incredibly scientific training. But thinking of that pointy end and the extremely professional kind of people we have, we've got Andre Bloomberg、uh, today. You've spoken to him a few times about、um, his、uh, his gender policies. Exactly, and you know, unofficially, he is called the granddaddy of ultra running in Hong Kong, just for having done some of the grand slams of ultra running, the big events, and then also taking on、um, the role as race director or event director. It's not really a race. The Hong Kong、uh, Four Trails Ultra Challenge, and so he's really steeped in the scene here. He knows everyone. Everyone knows him. He knows the trails, and he is just the kind of a walking encyclopedia of trail running knowledge. Yeah. So that Hong Kong Four Trails Ultra Challenge is a 298-kilometer non-stop race. The Maclehoes, then the Wilson Trail, then the then the Hong Kong Trail, then the finishing the Lantau Trail. No checkpoints, no support on the trail. Only support getting between the trails. A cutoff time of 60 hours makes you a finisher. If you finish in under 70, was it 75?、Uh, you become a survivor. This year, somebody even went over and finished in 85 just because they felt like it.、Um, and just in case anybody taking part thinks, well, the event organizer doesn't know what we're going through. Andre has had an incredible year. Set a record at a 230-kilometer road race in Germany, the Tour Tour de Thor. The Ruhr. 
the Ruhr, yes. Mm-hmm. Along the, the Ruhr River. Uh, followed immediately by a very different kind of race, the 100-mile hard rock elevation up and down, up and down, a lot of it at high altitude, mm-hmm. the highest point over 4,000 meters, and then straight back onto the uh, the road discipline, the 249-kilometer Spartathlon, steeped in history, one of the oldest ultras going on, and obviously has the link to ancient Greece as one of the, the, the birth of marathons. So it's really interesting to hear not just about how he did those races, but also what makes Andre tick. So really looking forward to hearing from him today. Welcome, Andre. Um, quite a year you've had. Um, three massive races, uh, finishing with Spartathlon, but uh, hard rock before that and a record at a 238-kilometer uh, tour, tour de Thor. Am I saying that right? Uh, tour de Roi in okay, Germany. Yeah, yeah. Um, which one are you most proud of? Yeah, thanks, Mark and Mary, for, for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's a great honor. I'm always uh, most proud of the one that I've done most recently. So they were all pretty challenging races and events, and I uh, finished them all, and some better than, than others. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy that I had a really good year, and I remained uh, injury-free as well, which is no small feat if you do these long races I'm probably most proud of I'm in uh, on the um, win and course record that I was able to achieve at Tour de Ruhr in Germany it's a 230 kilometer road race uh, along a bicycle path and it follows the river Ruhr hence Tour de Ruhr and uh, it goes all the way from the spring of the river to where the river Ruhr flows into the river Rhine which is 230k later. I'd actually done the event in 2016 as part of my German Grand Slam or the Millennium Quest, where it was a second out of four events uh, within seven weeks. So the objective there was to finish all four. So I was reasonably conservative when I did that race. Finished in about 30 and a half hours and uh, then wanted to come back again and do it better. Yeah, I'm I'm interested that that's your, uh, obviously you got the record there, um, but uh, of the three, it's the, not the the most high profile. Uh, The other two are sort of the hard rocks, infamous in the trail running and uh, Spartathlon is infamous in sort of ultra running or any running and uh, and you've picked the, uh, the lowest profile. Well, the I wouldn't say it's low profile. I think it's maybe not quite as well known in the certainly not in the trail running community. Uh, it it has a reasonable profile in the road running uh, community in ultras. It's been uh, around a while. They celebrated the tenth anniversary this year. Uh, it's a, a qualifier for Badwater, for Spartathlon, and for a few others. Um, so if you look at road ultras in the 200 plus plus kilometer distance you've got Badwater Iconics Patasslon obviously you've got uh, Totoro in Germany you've got uh, Costa Cozy in Australia Sakura Michi in Japan so those five but you've got uh, Grand Union Canal in the UK 145 miles uh, so those half a dozen are sort of quite iconic and so people who, who do these events are they're pretty pretty knowledgeable about the, the, the races. Um, but yeah, I think internationally, Hard Rock 100 in Colorado obviously won a very iconic race. It was the 25th anniversary uh, 
this year, or actually the 25th running of the event, uh, they had two years which they had to cancel due to uh, forest fires and, and other storms. Well, it wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't like this year. It was uh, perfect weather. I saw the videos of lightning striking every <laughs> couple of minutes on that last section. Was that were you in that? I I was if I was finished by that time. Fortunately, uh, I was just I was just descending the the last uh, peak when that started. Um, but lightning and, and and rainstorm and hail is quite common at uh, at this event because it's so high up. Um, so the the average elevation is over three thousand three hundred meters. Peak elevation four thousand three hundred meters. Um, so it's quite normal that you have uh, high alpine, mountainous type of weather. Uh, but usually it's in the afternoon, early afternoon, so it's it's a bit unusual to have it at night. So to do any one of these events in any one year would be quite a feat in itself, but you've done all three, and the fact that you went on the road for 230 and then 100 miles on trail and then back to the roads for 246 kilometers, it's just this wild swing. Do you think you're a better runner um, now that you've done all three in this crazy succession? Or did they all hinder each other? Well, I first of all, I, I didn't really plan to do these three this year. So uh, this is my sort of ninth year of running. Um, and most of my events of the last couple of years were mountain ultra trails. So that was really my sort of sweet spot and what's what I liked. So 100 miles and longer uh, in the mountains. I've been trying for five years to get into hard rock. So it's a very uh, niche event in terms of the number of participants. They only allow 145 to get in, um, and they typically have over 2,000 applicants. Um, so last year, after five years trying to qualify, then go through lottery, I managed to get in. And because it had taken so long, last year I made it my, my sole and prime focus for the year. So it was all about hard rock. I had nothing else on my calendar. The lottery took place December 2016, so I had six plus solid months of preparing for it. And I prepared really, really well. I got a coach and uh, and so on. So um, after I've done hard rock last year, I said, okay, I, I've, I've done pretty much all of the, the big events in the mountains. I've done the Grand Slam in the US. I've done Western States. I've done Wasatch. I've done hard rock, Angel's Crest and a bunch of others. And I said, I, I'm, I'm ready for a different challenge. Of course, you can always go longer, and I've done 200 miles around Lake Tahoe and, and 200 miles in Germany, but I felt I'd like to have something as a different challenge, and I saw that there are quite a lot of iconic road ultras as well, and I want to focus in 2018 more on road ultras. I had done Badwater before, back in 2014, um, but uh, mostly trails. So, so that was the plan going into 2018. And in general, uh, how do you how do you pick a race? How do you decide? I mean, they, they, like you say, there is infinite options where each is more challenging than the last in whatever aspect you want to choose. How do you make a decision? I want to run Badwater versus Spartathlon, or Spartathlon versus Hard Rock, or both at the same time as you did. <laughs> yeah, most of the events that I do are, are fairly long in distance and in, in challenge, and um, I, I don't race a lot anymore these days, partly because they are so long and challenging, but also because I, uh, I've i done that before. I've done um, years where I had 10 or 12 events, uh, several hundred Ks, a few hundred milers, and so on, and 
uh, I've I've reached a stage in my I guess running. I wouldn't sort of call it a career, but in my in my in my running that. I feel I really need to pick an, an event that I'm passionate about and that motivates me to train and that I'm looking forward to. And um, I I feel I would feel a diff I would feel it's difficult for me to to race every weekend or every other weekend because I don't think I would have the motivation for that. So um, a lot of long-term planning goes into that because a lot of the events that I'm doing, you cannot just simply sign up and register and pay and then you're in. Uh, most of the, actually all of the events require qualification and often qualification is limited to a fairly short shortlist of events and you got to do any of those and then your qualification only has a certain validity period and then very often also lottery is uh, a prerequisite to get in. So you, you really need to plan ahead a couple of years and uh, so the plan for this year as I was saying was was wrote. Um, and I had already registered and I was invited to run Totodoro again, which usually has a one-year lead time. It only takes place every two years. So in about May, June 2017, I got a slot for May this year. Um, and I was sort of thinking, okay, I should also apply for Spataslom, which is one of the really iconic, globally recognized road ultras. Um, lottery for that would open in January of 2018. So then the debate was, should I put my name in again for Hard Rock? Now the thing with Hard Rock is the course direction changes every year and it alternates. And I did it last year counterclockwise. And you are not considered a true Hard Rocker until you've actually done it in both directions. So after having waited for five years to get in the first time, I said, okay, it doesn't harm to put my my name into the head again and I start building up tickets. Every year you're not drawing, your, your ticket count increases for subsequent years. Um, assuming that there was no way that I would get, get drawn again in a subsequent year. But then I was lucky in December last year to be drawn again uh, for this year. And if Hard Rock invites you, you show up. Um, so hence... Is uh, it, in hindsight, out. is that a good reason to? Uh... I would, I would do definitely. Uh, I think do that again, especially if it if it would be the second year or the alternate direction, right? So um, that was the reason of doing it again. That sort of changed my planning a little bit for the year, which was meant to be a road year, but then it was road trail, difficult high elevation trail. And then back to the road. And now that you are a true hard rocker, is that are you ever going to put your ticket in again? I have put my ticket in again. Uh, <laughs> the uh, t the lottery submission period is actually open at the moment. Uh, we've got, I think, 17 people from Hong Kong who've put their name in so mm -hmm. far. Um, whether I will run it next year or not depends on whether I get in on, and what other plans I have. Um, yeah, so it's, it's possible to... If I get in, I, I may decide not to run it, and then then someone else will come off the wait list. So, so um, when you said you um, you pick races now that you're passionate on, do yeah. you find that as you evolve as a runner, I mean, you're, you're relatively young to running in terms of nine years. It's not like being your lifelong passion. Year on year, do you find that what you're passionate about evolves? Yeah, it certainly does. There are certain events that I like to go back to, and Hard Rock is certainly one that I could imagine to do a few more times. Um, and then also the bucket list really 
tends to get longer and longer rather than shorter. And um, I'm really interested in in um, single stage, non-stop, very long ultra events, so 100 miles or longer. Uh, I'm uh, I'm always a little bit amused by the different camps in running and ultra running, whereas, where many people say, oh, I'm a trail runner only, I hate road, uh, or I'm a road runner, I hate trail. Uh, but it's mostly actually the trail crowd who's very religious about that, that, that road is bad and road is evil. Um, I'm actually fine, I like both, and uh, I think it's it's a different challenge. You you actually don't get away with hiking and with trekking poles on the road. You hate mm-hmm. trekking poles. You actually, I don't hate <laughs> trekking poles. I don't, I don't hate trekking poles. I've used them in Hard Rock, and Hard Rock is a great event to use them, and, and they're helpful. Um, but um, uh, going from from trails where you do a lot of hiking and walking on the road, where you actually have to do a lot of leg turnover for very very long time. Mm-hmm. It's a very different training, and it's it's a very different strain in the body. And I was I was reading earlier today um, a column in Trail Runner magazine by David Roach, um, the American coach who trains a lot of high profile trail runners. That you know what he thinks is that to improve your climbing ability, uh, which would obviously help with trail running, you need to work on your flat running running economy. So, do you think that that has helped you with um, running hard rock? Just having that wonderful base uh, coming off of the two hundred and thirty kilometer Tour de Roo. Yeah, Jason Coop of uh, Carmichael Training Systems was my coach. Uh, he always emphasizes uh, that building the engine is really the foundation of, of any type of running. Um, so I, I certainly build the engine, which means uh, focus on VO2 max training and then special training uh, as your uh, training progresses. Leading up to the uh, Tortuga in May, build a very good base for me. So that's when I did all my interval training and my special training uh, and then the idea was coming off of that base I would then focus on very hard rock specific training which essentially means going with trekking poles up and down time or shan and just getting the vertical in um, and not really doing much running at all you were um, just hiking up power yeah, hiking up hi- hiking up and down yeah. with my backpack and so on yeah. so um, the Tour de Roo was at the end of May, so I took most of June off. Uh, end of June, I started again. And then Hard Rock was already end of July, so I really only had four or five weeks to prepare before then I had to taper again. So it wasn't really much time. So I didn't do much running, mostly uh, trekking poles, which I hadn't used since Hard Rock the prior year. So it was just sort of getting that into that rhythm again and, and, and carrying a heavy backpack again, which I didn't need to do for the previous race. So... Um, I, I did find hard rock harder than last year. Um, and I think it's just because I just didn't have enough time to prepare specifically for the uniqueness of the event. Um, we were able to go to Colorado a couple of weeks in advance, which helped the um, altitude acclimation. Which you also have a tent, don't you? Yeah, I used to tent. I used to sleep in an altitude tent last year, yes. At home here in Hong Kong. Um, for about three months okay. leading up to Hard Rock. Um, Were you uh, alone in there? <laughs> my wife uh, <laughs> uh, had uh, uh, kindly joined me in that. So uh, <laughs> it's interesting, the original, the initial sales cycle when I bought the tent in 2013, when I was doing the Grand Slam and I prepared for Letville, which is also at altitude, the sales cycle to convince my wife was actually longer than the sales cycle of the company to sell me the tent. <laughs> um, 
but she's been actually enjoying it and she said oh it's actually, actually kind of walk and climb stairs much easier now so she's been oh. benefiting from it as well um but it's not very it's not very convenient it's not very comfortable sleeping in altitude tent in a in a hot humid hong kong summer it's quite uncomfortable and you always need to balance in terms of the the elevation acclimation gain you get versus your reduced recovery uh, while sleeping and it's always a, a challenging trade off so this year i ditched the tent and we were in colorado at altitude about two and a half weeks prior to the event and i was also keen to compare tent in one year and then natural acclimation the other and the latter is certainly much easier and more enjoyable mm. uh, i mean as no many places where you can have more uh, of a good time than than colorado in summer so it's just nice to do sightseeing and and hiking and and some training and, and as a byproduct you get used to the altitude as well and in terms of training for the road and then training for the trails do you find those to be mentally very different because often i find that if i'm having a slow day and i'm running on the roads I'm just not enjoying myself. I'm already thinking about when I can go home because there's just not very much to see. Whereas, you know, if I'm having a bad day on the trails, at least I'm enjoying the scenery and taking in the trail. How did you find that to be the case? Did you find that to be the case? Yeah, it can be it can be a challenge sometimes. I, I usually once I get out the door and once I start running, it's usually okay. Um I don't mind the road, I don't mind the the repetitiveness of road running. I actually enjoy it because it is sort of my, I guess, my style of yoga, my style of meditation, and um, I, I feel it's quite um, stress relieving, and it's it's it puts me into mental state which I enjoy. However, having said that, the the challenge, as you know, in Hong Kong in summer is doing a <clears throat> a session, whether that's trail or road, that is longer than two or three hours in the heat and humidity in July and August. Is, is really challenging. Um, so coming off hard rock, I then had to go back into road training for Spataslon. Um, so again, same procedure. Um, early August, I came back and then two, three weeks sort of taking it easy, recovering from hard rock. And then I uh, only had four or five weeks to train for Spataslon and then going back into getting road legs. And it was, was pretty tough. And also it was then preparation for my third out of three events. And I was pretty tired. I had done two big events already. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed with my result in Hard Rock. Uh, I was an hour slower than last year. In hindsight, it should not have come as a surprise, given I didn't have the race-specific preparation uh, compared to last year. But at the time, I, I felt a little bit disappointed. I felt a bit unmotivated to go back again and to prepare for another uh, super big race like Spataslon. But eventually, I got there and... Uh, I really enjoyed it, yes. But Aston is, is really something different. It's the the whole historical um, connotation around it and the cultural association that the whole country has with the history of the event dating back 2,500 years when Pidipides ran from Athens to Sparta to seek help from the Spartans for joining the Greek to fight the Persians. And there were so many encouraging and, and interesting experiences along the, the race and before and after the race. Uh, it's really quite unique where it's not just a small uh, circle and a small fringe part of the community that, that is associated to the race, but it was 
basically so ingrained in the culture. We checked out in the morning of the race in the hotel in Essence, and the uh, concierge saw me in my in my race kit in my in my Spartaslon bib, and it was quite a fancy hotel. And then he was untying his tie, he was opening up his his dress shirt, so I could see his chest and underneath his dress shirt, he was wearing a Spartaslon T-shirt. So. And, and I said, have you run it before? I said, no, I've never run anything longer than a marathon, but it's, it's such a famous race. Today, my heart is, and my, my, my mind is with the runners that do the event. So I found that quite quite moving. Mm. And uh, that was just the first in, in a series of many similar events. People drive past uh, on the road and they, they slow down and they honk and they wish you well. And you have children on uh, especially in the latter part where it's in the more rural areas children come out and even in the rain it was raining a lot they come out they high five you they they bring their little writing pad and writing book and they like you to, to write down a message and so on um so it is definitely quite special it's incredible <clears throat> it must be quite bizarre i mean in, in um you know you're talking quite scientifically about vo2 maxis or and comparing years with altitude tents and and you're talking about passion and all these incredible stories of culture um, and in, in some senses, you're quite a purist as well. You're not going for competition. You're going for meditation. And in the event you organize, you're banning poles to make it pure. But um, it's not like you're harking back to some nostalgic era of your youth when it was all pure. How, what, do you, what do you think a 100-kilogram Andre Bloomberg of 10 years ago would think about the things that you're saying with like that you're, you're truly invested in entirely compared to the man who probably hadn't run much at all? Yeah, the, the, the 110 kilogram self that I was 10 years ago would probably have said, you're crazy, that will never happen, and that's impossible. Um, which is something that I still often get today when, when people ask me what is my hobby, and I said, I just run, like running. Oh, you mean you've done a marathon before? Yeah, I don't know done six back to back <laughs> do you quite enjoy that's possible and, and so on so yeah it's just uh, you're going through different stages in life and uh, I've done the the workaholic uh, party animal lifestyle in my 20s and 30s and worked in different uh, places in Asia and enjoyed that and it was good but then when I uh, approached uh, my 40s and I said okay it's, it's time for change I I was overweight. I had uh, sky high cholesterol, and I uh, then m decided to make some some lifestyle choices and changes. And I'd never been really been big into sports, uh, neither in my youth nor uh, later on. And um, my uh, my initial plan was just to lose some weight and become a bit more healthy. Uh, but then one thing led to the other, and then I discovered running and discovered uh, trail running in Hong Kong. And what what was the one thing that led to the other? Well, I mean, it was just. Uh, it's pretty much um, nine years ago when I um, then said, okay, I, I need to, I had my medical annual checkup and the doctor said, okay, you, you really need to watch your cholesterol and, and your weight. You're grossly obese. Uh, your BMI is 30 plus um, and uh, so below 25 is considered normal. And... Um, I said to myself, okay, it's I'm turning 40, so maybe it was a sort of a bout of early midlife crisis, and <laughs> I then decided to, to really make a drastic change. And it was pretty much from, from one day to the other where I said, okay, I stopped drinking, 
I changed my my diet. Um, I tried to get more rest and sleep. I uh, and I tried to start, start exercising as well. So my initial exercise was just going to the gym in our apartment, onto the stationary bike, and and pedal for ten minutes, and then next day ten minutes, and then longer and twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and then after a few weeks started on the treadmill. So again, ten minutes and a bit more because I was still worried a bit that my, my, my heavy weight would sort of ruin my my knees and joints and so on. So and then did that for a couple of weeks and then so it gets it gets a bit boring and then I went out on the road and then discovered discovered the beautiful country parks and trails and the diversity that we have here in Hong Kong which was somewhat sort of completely I was completely ob- oblivious to to the trails in Hong Kong, even having lived in Hong Kong full time for eight years. So um, yeah, do, and then, do you regret like missing those eight years of potential trail running, or was it just I had a great time then, and I'm having a great time doing something else now? No, I, I don't. I don't miss it. I have no regrets. I think it's just happens as it is. It's in the past. You can't change it. Um, I'm I'm grateful that I did discover it, and I'm very happy for having found the the uh, the trail running and the the ultra running community um, because I think it's a it's a really great culture. It's not necessarily hyper competitive it's more about sort of competing with yourself and trying to do your best uh, the vast majority of us are not in it professionally so it's a hobby uh, but it's also a passion and i really like the community uh, in hong kong but also globally and sort of my i guess my way of saying thank you to having had the opportunity to discover this whole new world which is just so different from how I lived in my 30s is just to volunteer and, and to put on events like the Hong Kong Fortress Ultra Challenge. So that's yeah. my way of that, sort of giving back. Do you think that fits particularly well into the way you're describing the Hong Kong Trail Seed in the sense that you, you, you go out your way to say it's not a race, it's an event against yourself? Um, do you think that's why it's important and fits so well? It is so, it's not popular in the sense of not many, only 30 so people take part, but so so much intrigue in it here. Yeah, and I think different people have different motivations for for running and and for doing events. And some like the very competitive element, and they like to win a podium events, or they like to set a person best. Um, and I, I do like that sometimes as well, um, especially during during a training phase leading up to something. But if you if you go past the hundred mile distance, there are just so many variables that are not in your control and that you can't really train and prepare for, um, then the element of saying, okay, I really want to race this is, okay, well, uh, there's so many other things. And it's just really more about the, the experience and the and the journey to it and then also finishing it. And Hard Rock doesn't call itself a race. It calls itself a run for a reason. And it's very deliberate, right? So it's, again, it's about that, that spirit of the community and the... Uh, fact that you have veterans and uh, first-timers and, and everyone in between all combined and people enjoy the the mountainous areas they're celebrating the spirit of the uh, uh, high mountain miners which used to work in in harsh conditions in that area um, and so on so um, that's sort of my my sweet spot of, of, of event uh, of, of course I like to do my best of course during the event I like to overtake people and I like to do the best I can, um, but uh, um, 
it's important for me that I enjoy also the journey and, and not just the event because I only do so few events and they're, they're pretty pretty long, pretty hard, pretty painful. Uh, that they require a lot of commitment in terms of time and effort and preparation and uh, and also uh, not spending time in other areas, not spending time with friends and and so on. So uh, my wife is very uh, supportive uh, and uh, that's that's great to have. We don't have we don't have kids, so that's another element. I don't know how people that have kids and a job and <laughs> run how they manage it all. So that's just another level. But uh, cool. Um, well, is um, uh, so a, a potential other passion of yours? Have you always been a passionate advocate of gender equality? Um, for those who don't know, uh, Andre is for his Hong Kong uh, Four Trails Ultra this year is only accepting a man for every woman that enters the race. Is that something that you've always cared about, or something that just popped up now that you've got a platform to do something about it? Yeah, it's 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 probably neither nor. I think it's it's just I've become more aware of it in I guess in the in the workplace, and as part of general over the last I guess five plus years, a global trend of recognizing diversity in general, not just uh, gender diversity, but general diversity is um, beneficial, and it's 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 proven in many companies to be also beneficial for business performance and um, the discussion also then came into into ultra running uh, at a global level of uh, various advocates for diversity and, and articles and uh, Stephanie Case is a is a famous proponent of diversity she's, she's written several articles uh, about it uh, Jason Coop my, my coach coincidentally as well um, and um, I, I always had admired how women in ultra running are actually much better athletes. Not necessarily in terms of finishing first or finishing ahead of men, but better athletes in terms of their race strategy and pacing themselves. I could see that again in Spatasloan, where I was very deliberate in all my preparation up front to say, Start slow, start slow, start slow. It's a really long distance. It's 246K. It's probably over 30 hours. Uh, it was a bit below afterwards, but eventually for me to finish in 29. Yeah, and you ended something. up. And, you, you and I was overtaken by. Your first marathon in three, just over 330, right? The first marathon of the of the 246 kilometers. Yeah, right? correct, which was faster than I had planned. So actually, I, I wanted it's to quite, uh, to be about four it's hours. Quite a time. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but then still, so I went out too quick. And then lo and behold, I was overtaken by several females mm. who, who finished way ahead of me. And and this happened at other other events as well. So that's sort of a combination. So the yeah, so the idea was the 2019 Fortress Auto Challenge to have more diversity uh, was was uh, in my mind. Also to to structure it a bit more formally. Now I've I've always encouraged more females to participate in the event, um, and we've had now um, I think six uh, men who have broken 60 hours, uh, and we've had only three women who have survived um, and I was really keen to promote it more with with with, uh, with women um, and it was quite interesting when Nicole Leung uh, this year um, she went way over the the cutoffs but it didn't deter her and 
she actually called me past the cutoffs. She said, I'm still in Lantau and I, I, I really, I don't care if you cut me off or what you do. You don't have, I'm, I don't expect you to be at the post box, but I really want to finish. And I found that very, very uh, motivating and very inspirational. And uh, so for next year, I wanted just to have more female participation. And uh, there's a lot of talk about diversity and so on, but but then a lot of the races don't actually do anything about it. So what I did in, in my small event was to say, okay, certain people get in and then they will be on the wait list. And then for every male that is on the wait list, if you can refer two women who are interested and qualified, they will get a slot and then you will get off the wait list and also get a slot. Um, whether we will have 50-50 at, uh, at the start line on Chinese New Year, we will see. Uh, but I, I think we would definitely have 40-45% female participation. And what would you say now are some of the strengths and weaknesses of the trail running scene in Hong Kong now that you've you know, been a competitor as well as a race director, event director? Well, given the, the size of Hong Kong, the trail scene and, and the running scene has is, is, is just exploded uh, phenomenally over the last several years. Um, it's very popular. Um, I think you've seen many reports and reported yourselves around the increase in, in events as well. Um, I think it's, it's generally good. I think the country parks are a fantastic asset that Hong Kong has. It's very easily accessible. There's a lot of diversity to it. Um, I hope that we will not see uh, too much destruction of of country parks, but but preservation and and really uh, keeping those intact and not not building property and 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 having pollution there. Uh, so I, I think generally it's great that people are heading to the outdoors, and and and, and I wish many more people would do that. Um, in terms of races, I think we will eventually probably reach a stage where it may be difficult to support more events. We already have three, four, five events every weekend during the season. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a good community. It's also year after year, I think the, 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 the level of performance uh, gets better. And um, it's quite interesting I think we, 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 we punch way above our weight on a global scale, given our size in terms of performance at, at large international events. And that's, that's great. It would be nice to have more government support as a sport, especially the trail running discipline. Um, I'm a founding member of the Trail Runners uh, Association of Hong Kong, and one of the mission statements of the association is to provide local uh, trail runners uh, an outlet for performing at the world stage uh, and at, at uh, global uh, championships and so on so that's something we're still working on uh, because i think that is important and we, we do have the talent cool well uh, thank you very much andre for taking the time to come in and chat it's uh, been uh, congratulations on what is really really a fantastic year um but uh, i bet now you mentioned to me you're just on a chocolate and wine diet <laughs> Yeah, after finishing Spatasalon at the end of September, I, uh, I took a couple of weeks completely off from, from running and slowly getting back into it. I don't really have much structure to my training right now. And uh, I think after having a, a, a training block of, of a season of 10 months, it's important that you really give yourself a break, not just physically, but also mentally. And uh, I was saying earlier, I found it a bit difficult to motivate myself to train again for Spatasalon. So... I, I really want to take the time to, to be fresh again and energized and hungry. 
to then work towards the next event, whatever that may be, next year. And uh, so I think uh, I'm not rushing into anything right now and taking my time. And uh, if I feel lazy for another week, then so be it. Uh, and then I think uh, it's important to, to respect that as well. Cool. Well, thank you again for coming on. And uh, thank you, Mary, as always, for taking the time to host with me. It's great fun. Um, if you want to get more stories about all of the mental things Hong Kongers are doing, follow us on Outdoor and Extreme SEMP. Uh, the next pod might not be for a while as I head off to the Atlantic and Mary mm -hmm. uh, takes a bit of a world tour during December and mm -hmm. January. But um, stay tuned for what's more to come. Thank you.